Stories. Today on our podcast about religion, culture, politics, and everything in between, we're tackling another controversial subject. Vaccines. Vaccines. Oh man, everyone's talking about them. <laughs> Seems like every other podcast that comes out is about vaccines, so we're just... Are you guys sick of hearing about it? Oh, they said no. Great, we'll keep going. <laughs> Uh, we're, yeah, we're joining the tidal wave of, of media talking about vaccines because it's an important topic. And we want to start out by talking about our experiences mm-hmm. with the vaccine. I've had one dose of the Pfizer as of last Friday. And as of last Tuesday, I've had both my doses of the Pfizer vaccine. Um, we are in the state of Virginia, so we went through their system um you know thoughts about this vaccine i will say it caused me to reconsider my previous stances on vaccines so previously um when the vaccine you know years ago came out for hpv i kind of developed this thought of well if a vaccine has not been out and tested and kind of amongst circulation for five years or more, then I don't want to be the guinea pig that gets it. That was kind of my my previous thinking on whether or not to get a vaccine. Um, but I will say that what changed my thinking was my risk analysis, hmm. um, which we'll talk about a little bit more on this vaccine, as well as knowing that Operation Warp Speed, which is the Trump administration's efforts to speed up the getting this vaccine to market, knowing that it went through the most rigorous uh, clinical trials, more than a typical drug would in this short amount of time. Like it typically yeah. takes 15 years to go through, you know, the FDA's trials. Well, they brought private sector, public sector together to speed this up. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, the risk analysis was um, during everything that happened to me two years ago in the hospital, I had a pulmonary embolism, which is where a blood clot goes to your lungs and shuts down capacity. And I, um, it, it was a very serious incident. As it was. Multiple doctors yeah. have told me I could, I was close to dying. I could have died had I not been in the hospital. And so that uh, significantly impacted my lungs. And as we know, COVID-19, very risky for people that have lung problems. So uh, we'd been pretty locked down here at our house during the pandemic because of that. And the seriousness of my lungs being impacted, um, you know, was pretty, pretty scary. Um, It was. And not to mention... (laughs) The four months that we spent, I spent living in the hospital. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, I don't want to spend another week in the hospital. We were all sick of them. It, I mean, yeah, everything about living in a hospital is not enjoyable. Staff were great. Yeah. Nurses, doctors, everyone, wonderful. Having to live there, not great. I don't want to go back. Right. I really didn't want to get COVID. So... Beginning of this year, uh, it opened up. I could get the vaccine. I signed up, and it took two months after I signed up for me to get in. And you're I, in like the first category, right? I wasn't in the first category. Oh, really? Actually, oh, they okay. put in Virginia. They put essential workers before, so before disabilities, before disabilities, or even pre-existing conditions under the age of sixty-five. Oh, wow. so it was the elderly, teachers, frontline workers. Okay. 
Um, which don't even get me started because here in Virginia, Fairfax <laughs> County isn't even back in school, but teachers got put ahead of pre-existing conditions. Yep. Um, Must, much consternation. Yes. So, but I finally got it. Mar- I think it was like March 1st. I got my first one. And um, I really, you know, it, it was an easy process. I was in and out of the offices in like 15 minutes and had some arm soreness and some fatigue the day after both in both cases but that was it for my side effects i qualified as a live-in caregiver because i live with someone who's disabled although rachel you're extremely independent (laughs) i don't really do anything i I require other tlc (laughs) (laughs) indeed and uh yeah, it was, it was, I pre-registered within a week, had the first shot, and we'll go back at a Amazon-funded office in Arlington. Hmm. And so we're talking about vaccines because there's a lot of skepticism out there. We were both particularly struck by the Pew survey in February that had white evangelicals at a 45% uh, hesitancy rate to take the COVID, a COVID vaccine. I wager, I would bet that that rate is lower, but... Right. It's been dropping steadily. Yeah. It's, that was still really high. Mm-hmm. Um, so another reason we come to this is, for, at least for me, is the history of disease and vaccines. Mm-hmm. For most of human history, people were just ravaged by disease. Children died. Yeah. Uh, 50% of most children under two died for most of human history. A lot of that because of preventable, now preventable disease diseases like measles, smallpox, tuberculosis. Ugh. I mean, just think about you had to live with t- tuberculosis in so many communities. Yes. And even now, globally, right? Yeah. They don't have access to these. That's vaccines. true. Like, yeah, tuberculosis shreds your lungs. So you're Ugh. coughing up blood and end up, I think, drowning in your own blood. Ugh. And thanks to vaccines in the last, you know, 100 years, that's been gotten rid of. And just the amount of human suffering that's been allie- relieved because of vaccine technology is amazing. There's this one man who died in 2005, uh, Maurice Hillman who is credited with developing 40 vaccines, wow. which are in use today. And like no one knows his name. Hmm. I had to look it up again, and I've heard him, a short history about him. Uh, Jonas Salk, who developed the polio vaccine, uh, one of them that was successful in the early 50s in eradicating that terrible disease. Hmm. So it's yeah. this hesitancy, I think, view, we, we should take it in the context of like how much human suffering has been relieved because of vaccine development. I mean, we had a sitting president that had polio and yeah. was yeah, true, disabled yeah. by it you know yeah. fdr yep. Mitch mcconnell had polio it's yep. just that is recent history where you had to be afraid of your neighborhood pool or yes you know group gatherings whole community shut down right and i think for us both kind of we rachel mentioned risk analysis i mean 100 years ago 200 years ago if you parachuted into some town with oh we'll jab this thing in your arm and it's gonna eradicate this horrific disease people would say well like i'm assuming they say sign me up i hope they would um just because the effects of these diseases were so so terrible mm-hmm. so i think that plays into our calculation too or just like how how suffering is relieved because of vaccines but then so how do we how do we come to decision to take a vaccine Right, right. So you mentioned that kind of risk analysis where maybe 100 years ago, death from these diseases actually felt closer to home. You probably knew someone that died from, you know, 
one of these terrible rubella or mm-hmm. you know something like that and so hepatitis the risk was very obvious and i think i think very similarly you know covid 19 was something that maybe brought us back to that state that was normal human history for a long time where you knew someone even by six degrees of separation that was hospitalized that had terrible side effects from it or even died from covid um and i think we all know some a story of someone who died yep and so um like i mentioned with my personal decision to get the vaccine uh that risk analysis was pretty obvious for me there were you know i could not find much evidence in the way of uh, a a large amount of harms from the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I I think this is an important distinction. People who are extremely anti-vaccine, you know, I think tend to think the other side who are pro-vaccine say there's no risk to vaccine. No, no, we know that there are, there are risks to vaccine. You could be in the small percentage that has a bad side effect from it. Right. Right. But, Weighing that risk analysis, the risk that getting COVID-19 has on you versus the very small percentage of people who have that bad side effect from the vaccine, um, doing that risk analysis. So to do a risk analysis, you have to have good information. Indeed. And where does one find good information (laughs) these days? Uh, I knew we're in this information saturated world where you know some flicks of the thumb pretty much anywhere you can find a a library bigger than anything encountered in human history can feel pretty overwhelming right so i guess what are some of the tricks that you use well i actually think a reframing of um a really great pastor, Curtis Chang, who has a website. I think it's Christians and the Vaccine. We'll put it in our show mm. notes. Yep. Um, you know, if you're asking the question, is the vaccine safe? The question you're really asking is, do I trust the scientific experts and leading institutions? So right. there, are, there's plenty of information out there from the CDC, the NIH, um, both presidential administrations, yep. right? Trump yep. and Biden. This was developed under the Trump administration. Both teams had a part. Yeah, both teams had a part. I mean, the Trump administration was there. That's true. The yeah, development, most of it. Yeah. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Biden administration yeah. is just execution. Yeah. Um, and so you're asking the question: Do I trust these institutions? Um, you know, if you say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not going to be uh, just a blind follower of these authorities. They've led us wrong in the past," which is true, right? There, yep. There are plenty of instances where government yep. agencies either did horrific things um, to, you know, vulnerable populations, testing vaccines on, you know, the Black and Hispanic population back in the day. That was terrible. Yeah. Um, it's determining. Do you trust, you know, Dr. Francis Collins, Dr. Fauci, all these people's opinions? And, you know, it it is hard to determine because most people are not epidemiologists, scientists. Right. Virologists, <laughs> immunologists. Right. Yeah. And just the, the technical jargon, it can get pretty dizzying. And I think the other aspect, too, with... Like what's worth what? What can we trust? You know, this you mentioned the, the vaccine development, and I, it's just amazing how quickly 
COVID-19 vaccines were developed. I think the previous record was for mumps uh, and it was four years. Uh, it took for SARS in the early 2000s, it took, I think, four months to sequence the genome. This was done for COVID, coronavirus. Uh, it was done within days because a community of scientists around the world were sharing information, computing power. So it's kind of like there's there's probably never been as much information sharing hmm. over like one scientific task as right. this one. So I think that plays into like who to trust because the information abundance kind of cuts both ways in terms of allowing pretty much anyone to access and challenge. But then I think with challenge comes refinement and, and like refinement of information and you can come, I think, closer to the truth through right. that process. I mean, that, that is the scientific process. I mean, and if, if you're really digging into something, the best possible way to get down to the truth is to look at original sources. Yep. So if you're reading an article on your favorite blog or, you know, someone forwarded you something. A viral should, Facebook thing. Right. You should go to the original source. Right. But it's very difficult. We will, you know, see that you can go to the original source and most people are not going to be able to understand, you know, I, I can't understand my medical charts, but nevertheless <laughs> understand a in-depth, you know, clinical trial study. And we, I mean, and we trust experts all the time, right? With cooking our food at a restaurant to the, what, uh, ibuprofen that's produced that we pick up at the drugstore to, uh, airline pilots, you know, you had a massive surgery a couple of years ago. We, we didn't presume we knew best on how to uh, we did the best <laughs> go into your spine we could, right yeah, to find yeah. the best information on it but we ceded that to the doctors <laughs> right so we do this every day with all sorts of categories so I don't think uh, it, it's a tough argument to make that you know there's somehow special knowledge that we would have in this context right right and you know listen I'm I'm a a modern medicine skeptic in some ways you are <laughs> of you know i i don't take any drugs unless i absolutely have to you know i'll be in terrible pain before i even take tylenol or whatnot um but again it just comes back to that kind of trade-off thinking you know like, like taking tylenol is well yeah it's not completely do i want to be in terrible pain that you know makes yeah. me not sleep or do i want to take the risk of taking a tylenol <laughs> yep so what should christians do about this question about COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, I really, there, there's so much here. Um, for me, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about this uh, piece by uh, priest Tish Warren Harrison is her name, and she wrote in a column in Christianity Today, and I love the title, Pray to God for Protection, Then Praise Him for Your Mask. You know, there's sometimes mm. Christian thinking of, well, we should just ask God for it and trust that he will provide. Right. When, um, you know, God has, there's given us so much agency and um, ability here on earth that he intertwines both his efforts and our efforts. Like he expects something from us yeah. and he gives us the gifts, uh, so many gifts that he wants us to use here. Right. Um, so I, I, I really like that juxtaposition. My favorite biblical example of that is David... You know, his faith to take on Goliath, but he still went to the stream and spent time picking out five smooth stones. Mm. He only used one and he mm. went out with faith in God's ability to provide. So he still like, applied his skills and stepped forward in faith. Yes, yes. 
uh, I think there's an ethical component here of loving your neighbor. A lot of the vaccine, I mean, vaccination for COVID is a, it's a two way sort of, I guess, benefit yourself and then those around you to mm -hmm. protect those around you. Mm -hmm. So you're not spreading uh, the virus to the most vulnerable and people most susceptible to it. Uh, so I think that's a way to love your neighbor, mm -hmm. take that into consideration. And I think too, you know, with the risk analysis portion, like it's worth taking some risk for these noble ends i think to you can't live a completely risk-free life uh I, and i think there's more upside with the vaccine than not so uh you know no greater love has this than to lay down your life for your friends mm. uh i think i'm not advocating you know uh ridiculous you know uh, death-defying runs of some sort but or maybe maybe that if god's calling you to that you know he'll he'll provide and you know death isn't the end of the story for christians yes yeah. so um i think yeah. that's another principle to consider too i really admired that about the people i saw in the clinical trial um one mm. of my former congressman bosses you know posted a picture and said i'm taking this you know to uh, ahead of time as part of the trial wow. for you know the people i'm serving and then also you know another component is this mrna um technology could unlock future cures they're saying you know even maybe even for cancer yeah brain tumor vaccine yeah incredible so it's even kind of putting a down payment on future yeah. technologies that are life-saving which has been around for at least 30 years in mm -hmm. development it's not brand spanking new right 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 this is not new and just you know the last thing I'll say, how should Christians think about this is I've thought about the incredible medical technology that saved my life mm. that would, was not around 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, MRIs are kind of new to the scene that even detected that I had a tumor that was doing this to me. Yeah. And I think all the time of, I thank God for the gift of medical technology. Amen. I do too. Amen. So shifting gears. Thinkers and stinkers. Thinkers or stinkers. <laughs> Taylor, what's, what's your... Oh, you go first. Okay. What's your stinker? My stinker is Cocoa Melon for all you parents out there. <laughs> but it saves us. I know. It's it's like a love-hate relationship. Uh, our son, toddler son, loves it. Uh, but, oh boy. I think now I just wake up in the morning and it's playing. The songs are running through my head and I don't even realize it. I used to realize it. I'd you know, wake up, oh, there's a song in my head. Like... Uh, some nursery rhyme over and over and over again. But now it's just like a, a background mental. Is thing. that that's scary to you? It's torture. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. But it buys us and then, silent time. And then it's, it's like run by this mystery cabal of people who media hasn't been able to find, or maybe no one's taking the effort. It'd be a fascinating article. I would read it. But the estimated revenue for these creators are 120 million dollars is 120 million dollars wow. a year from just streaming alone so good for them you <laughs> for, know for giving parents some peace and quiet that's what they're yeah i guess for. so yeah good for them <laughs> my stinker is um actually i'm surprised i haven't talked about this earlier it's an uh, she is an author and a social media influencer named rachel hollis and she wrote this huh. Uh, Taylor, have you heard of her? Nope. She wrote this like best-selling book called "Girl, Wash Your Face." Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. That's her. So she, her basic shtick. I mean, I've never read her book. I pay very little attention to what she puts out out there because <laughs> every single time I just get annoyed by it. But she. Do you still follow her? her? 
I think I might. I feel like I... It's one of those, those follows. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay, okay. But she did something, I think this week, that made everyone else think she's a stinker too. Oh, what What happened? She posted this, uh, it's called a reel on Instagram, like a video. Right. Where she um, goes on this monologue about how she said something about how she has a maid come clean her house twice a week and how people were like, that's unrelatable. And she went on and on about how, do you think I want to be relatable? I want to be unrelatable. <laughs> I didn't work this hard so that I would be relatable. I worked this hard so someone wipes my toilets twice a week. Basically. So shouldn't like the new title of her book be girl pay someone to wash your face? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Unscripted that's, that's joke. That's the sequel. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, the internet jumped on her for being just like totally unempathetic to one, the ha- the house cleaning industry to talk about them that way that they're wiping toilets. It's true. Which was very kind of demeaning the way she said it. Bless them for their work, yeah. I and guess. then what was even worse, she went to do a quote apology about it, which was like oh, not boy. apology at all. <laughs> and she blamed her staff for oh, like no. some, it was like a non-apology apology. And then some people jumped on her for that. And then she issued another apology after that. Man, this sounds like a good old fashioned dumpster fire. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. And like I'm, it was one of those, I'm sorry that you feel upset. <laughs> Basically. Apologies. <laughs> yeah. So wow. That's a good a stinker. Stinky stinker. Wow. All right. What, what's your thinker, Taylor? My thinker finished it today. A book by Jen Pollock, Michelle, Michael. Uh, surprised by paradox, which the title is my only quibble with the book. Christian books. Are you surprised by the paradox? <laughs> no. Well, I'm I'm not surprised by the title because a lot of Christian books have that title. I think from C.S. Lewis is surprised oh. by joy. Maybe he stole it from someone. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it's a great book. Uh, about 190 pages. Just kind of uh, re a creative, modern, very aware of what's going on in the world, and I think kind of modern struggles with theology, but also traditional paradox there, haha, uh, where she walks through like the incarnation and the last chapter was probably my favorite about lament, hmm. Um, hmm. and especially focusing on the Psalms. So I really recommend it. I, she's a vivid writer too, lives in Toronto. Uh, how'd you find her again? She w- did an essay in that collection of responses to Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, which wow. I read. in deep. I guess so. Yeah. I, then I bought two books. Wow. By her. Wow. Yeah. I, I, so I, I haven't read the other one, but this one was great. How many stars Surprised in your Goodreads? Surprised by Joy. Four stars. Wow. Okay. I don't give five stars out to just anyone. <laughs> I bet you guys didn't know that about Taylor. He's very stingy with his stars. <laughs> That's true. Most books in the world, just by, you know, just a law of averages are probably three stars. Mm. I know. It's, it's kind of sad. You put so much love into them, the author's. Yeah, I have I have strong opinions about book ratings. <laughs> For another biases, episode, I guess so. Who yeah, who doesn't want to hear about that? So my thinker is um, Nadia Hussein's new show. It is called Nadia Bakes, and I found out about it from the Jen Hatmaker podcast, where she's interviewing different cooks and chefs and bakers, and. <laughs> I just love Nadia Hussein. She became famous from um, the Great British Bake Off. She won. Uh, wow. And then I didn't know her background. I found this in Jen Hatmaker's podcast that 
she um, even entered the Great British Bake Off because her husband just entered her because she was dealing with depression in a funk and he just huh. entered her in, in it for her. Did you know? Uh, I think he did it <laughs> without asking her and then was oh, like, wow. you're doing this. <laughs> Um, so she won and she is just like a ray of light and she loves food so much and the way she talks about her cooking, it makes it so accessible and so joyful. Is this the like meals for your family one? She, that was her first Netflix show. Ah, that was good. Called Time to Eat. Yeah. 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 And she, her first show I I love too. It was about making these meals that are easy to cook for your family. Don't take too much time, but it still bring joy to your table or, you know, prep ahead meals, that kind of thing. They never looked that simple to me though. (laughs) Yeah, they they were, I would say they aren't all simple, but (laughs) there's one I make, I make her chicken shawarma for like every new mom. It's really good. And me. And you too. (laughs) Sometimes. It is very good. (laughs) My simple meal is just Cheerios. A cheese plate. Not even No, that. no. A cheese. <laughs> anyway, that's a good one. That's where you say you're lucky to have me. I'm lucky to have you. Boy, howdy. <laughs> that's true. I mean, that goes without saying daily praises. I've, I've come far in life from microwave frozen meals to now gourmet meals. So Nadia Bakes, really, really good if you just need a happy watch. It's a good one. Well, that's it. Vaccines. That's it. Stingers thinkers. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Get your vaccine and eat a piece of cake. Get your vaccine.